0: Word is our great heritage and shall be ours Welcome to the God's Word, our Great Heritage Podcast. In this episode we are giving our attention to Mark chapter 13. Let's begin with prayer. Oh Jesus Christ, do not delay but hasten our salvation. We often tremble on our way in fear and tribulation. Your saints are waiting patiently. Come soon, Redeemer. Make us free from every evil. Amen. It's a sad, heartbreaking scene. Jesus leaves the temple, never to return. It was his house. He made that perfectly clear the day before, driving out the money changers and the merchants. Every sacrifice was to point to him and his sacrifice atoning for the sins of the world. All the teaching that took place in its courtyard was to point to him as the promised Savior. But, as Jesus taught us in the parable of the wicked tenants, much of the temple's purpose had been ruined by the very ones who had been entrusted with its care, the chief priests and the teachers. God had intended it to be his dwelling place on earth. Now that purpose was ended as God himself left it. Mark chapter 13 verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. If we had seen the temple in Jesus' day, we probably would have thought it was the most impressive building we had ever seen. Historians tell us that some of the stones were 40 feet by 12 feet by 8 feet. When the disciples comment on how magnificent it was, Jesus responded with a prediction of its utter destruction. We too build buildings that are beautiful where we gather for worship. This is to God's glory, and it's a good thing. We say, this is the Lord's house. But may we never lose sight of the purpose of these buildings, a place where God meets with his people through word and sacrament. May we always strive to teach his word there correctly. And may the content of our teaching always be Christ and him crucified. I wonder if the disciples walked for some time in shocked silence. When they got across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, they asked Jesus, When? Verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? When will this happen, Jesus? They want to know. According to Matthew's account, the disciples added, And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Maybe they thought, certainly something as magnificent as this temple will stand until the end of time. Or did they think that the destruction of the temple would be the worst thing imaginable, and so must be the end of the world? Notice that Jesus in his answer lets the two events the destruction of the temple, and the end of the world, stay connected. But he does not make them simultaneous. That's an important point to note. Here's another important point. Jesus' answer makes clear he is not interested in helping the disciples figure out the timing of God's plan. He's interested in helping them and us to be ready to live in these gray and latter days. Verse 5. Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. Many false messiahs appeared over the next 40 years, and we still have them today. Some are are so bold as to say they are the messiah. If you're old enough, you may remember Reverend Sun Meng Moon back in the 80s. But more often, their claims are more subtle. They they, they say they speak for Christ, but then teach contrary to Christ's teaching. Jesus wants us, who are living in these last days, and that is the days between his ascension and his return at the end of time. Jesus wants us to be on guard against false teaching. Verse 7. When you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Wars and violence in the years immediately after Jesus' ascension are well documented in history. So are major earthquakes and famines. And and yet Jesus' words sound like our daily news feed, don't they? Wars, natural disasters, we have them all. But these are still not the signs the end is here. They are, according to Jesus, only the beginning. Just as Jesus was hated and thrown out of the synagogue, so his disciples will be persecuted. Verse 9, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus does not want them, or us, to be taken by surprise. He does not hide how painful it will be as the preaching of the gospel brings persecution, divides families, and causes the world to hate us. But through all of that, the task remains. The gospel must be preached to all nations. Today, in other parts of the world, we see violence against our Christian brothers and sisters. And in our own communities, we may face hateful speech because of what we teach. Perhaps we've experienced division within our own families because of our faith. Still, Jesus is with us and will protect us until he either calls us home or Or comes again. Now, Jesus answers Andrew's specific question about the destruction of Jerusalem. While his predictions about the end times, the the New Testament era, are somewhat general, Jesus gets very specific about his prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem, something that would take place just a few years after Mark's writing of this gospel. Verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one in the, on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter. Because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. That Jesus here is speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem and not the end of the world is clear from his words. Let those in Judea flee to the mountains. That won't do much good at the end of the world. Since the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple had not yet taken place when Mark wrote this, Mark adds his comment, let the reader, namely the believers, especially those still living in Jerusalem, understand, understand why, so that they, those Christians living in Jerusalem, when this happens, might flee and and their lives then spared. What does Jesus mean here by the abomination that causes desolation? Well, that could be a podcast all its own. But for now, consider this. Some historians record that the Jewish Civil War that preceded the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, that then the Jewish Civil War caused more bloodshed and violence than the Roman invasion did. So the presence of Jewish insurgents with their weapons inside the temple killing their fellow Jews. And then on top of that, the Roman soldiers just outside the temple wall laying siege to the city and offering their pagan sacrifices there at the temple wall. All of this would have desecrated the temple. If you had read the history of that Roman siege in 70 AD, then you'd probably understand Jesus' words when he says nothing as distressing as this had ever taken place, going all the way back to the beginning of time. And nothing as horrible will happen again. As an aside, here's another one of those places where Jesus clearly teaches creation. By the way, prayers were answered, and the fall of Jerusalem did not take place in the winter. No doubt sparing much hardship and loss of life for those Christians who were in Jerusalem at the time. Verse 20. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. It is for the sake of Christians proclaiming the gospel that the world still exists. And when that task is over, and the elect have all been gathered, God will bring an end to the suffering here. Again, historians tell us that in the years leading up to Jerusalem's fall, there was no shortage of messiahs, saviors promising to lead people out of their misery. Jesus warning to his disciples as they were on the Mount of Olives, also applies to us. Be on your guard against such messiahs. If the disciples thought the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world would happen simultaneously, Jesus now clarifies and separates the two events. Verse 24. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. When God brings history to its end, Jesus, the Son of Man, will appear. And no matter where we are, Where our bones or ashes may lie, Jesus' angels will find us, and our bodies will be raised and glorified, and we will be brought to Jesus. Daniel Deutschlander has a beautiful paragraph on this point in his gospel. I'm going to just read that paragraph for you. With what amazement and spellbound awe those still alive on that day and the rest rising from their graves will behold it. The whole of of the physical creation comes crashing in on itself as into some gigantic black hole. Space, gravity, laws of physics, all are gone. There is but one great and glorious reality, the one we have looked and longed for. It's Jesus. There he is, the light. Compared to him, there is no other light. There he is, power itself. In the presence of which all created power must fall away and disappear. There he is, yes, the love of our lives. He has come in the company of the holy angels to raise all those who died in faith. Together, with those still alive, he will take all his own into the eternal glory of his home. He has brought it for us by his suffering and death. His resurrection and ascension have won the guarantee that it will be ours at his return. Again, that's Professor Daniel Deutschlander in his commentary on Mark, Your Kingdom Come. If you're looking to do a a deeper study on the Gospel of Mark, I would highly recommend that book. It's available from Northwestern Publishing House. Going on in verse 28. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. When you see the buds start to swell in the trees and the leaves begin to unfurl, You know, it's spring. Summer is soon to come. Jesus says, when you see the wars and natural disasters and the false teachers, you will know the end is near. But remember this too. The words of the psalmist, a thousand years in your sight, Lord, are like a day that has just gone by. And also remember this. Jesus' purpose here is not to help us figure out the exact timing of God's plans but rather to help us live in what the Bible calls the last days, the time between Jesus' ascension and his return. The Greek word translated here, generation, can mean people with a certain characteristic. So a a very loose translation of Jesus' words might be this. Truly, I tell you, these kinds of people will not go away until all these things have happened. In other words, as long as the gospel is proclaimed, and it will be until the end of time, there will be those who oppose it. But don't be afraid. In a world that seems to be coming apart at the seams, God's word will never pass away. In fact, long after this world has passed away, God's word will endure forever. Verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned tasks, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. The man in the story that Jesus tells who has gone away, well, that man is Jesus. He has ascended into heaven, but he will return. And rather than trying to figure out just when that will happen, we are to be busy with the things he has given us to do. He says that even he, in his state of humiliation, uh, having set aside the full use of his divine power and, and omniscience during his time on this earth, even he didn't know when the end would come. So it would be foolish for us to try and figure it out. The story of Colonel Davenport the speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives is, is often told. One day in 1789, the sky of Hartford darkened ominously, and some of the representatives, glancing out the window, feared it was the end of the world. Quelling a clamor for immediate adjournment, Davenport rose and said, The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish the candles be brought. Our concern, instead of trying to figure out when the end will come, should be to focus our attention on God's word. This is what Jesus means by being on guard and being, on, being alert and keeping watch. If we focus on God's word then we will be doing the things God wants us to do. Then we will find the strength to stand even in the face of of this great tribulation Jesus talks about here. Then we will be ready for his return. And to be ready for his return is to be found in faith in him. Next week, chapter 14, as Holy Week continues. We'll consider the great gift Jesus has left us as his last will and testament. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you.